Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, topics, loaded like offense, co-centric, talk about it often, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, do it big, like lines for an offense, co-centric, don't take offense, back in the Welcome day, back to the Stampede Blue offense. Colts cast, no ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Dangley, thank you guys for coming back to the show, uh, always appreciate it, I uh, hope you guys are excited about some of the news that we've revealed lately. Uh, it should be excellent. I'm excited to get Steven on here and have him uh, be a part of the show or be a part of the podcast uh, from Stampede Blue as well. That would be really cool. Uh, tonight, we've got a lot of general discussion. We're going to go through uh, a little bit of everything that's just kind of uh, uh, going through our minds. And uh, with me tonight, we've got Luke Schulteis. Luke, what's going on, man? Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's a pleasure being here tonight. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started, where where can anybody and everybody find your work at? Uh, they can find my work on indianasportscoverage.com, and you can also fi- follow my Twitter handle. It's luck at Luke. Okay. Make sure you guys are doing that. Good conversation. If you have anything you want to talk about uh, with the Colts, Luke is always good for that as well. So we've kind of off the air, we've kind of gotten, you know, a conversation almost kind of started uh, accidentally here before uh, anything really popped off, but... Uh, we've got a conversation that we've been kind of uh, touching on with the tight ends. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed and one of the things that I've, I've thought about over the past couple of days is this tight end room when you remember and you think back to where they were in training camp and preseason. Uh, they had Ross Travis. They had, you know, uh, Daryl Daniels. They have uh, Doyle, Ebron. Um, you know, and Eric Swoop, just a, a, a really solid tight end room. And a, a lot of people, and including myself, most of us, uh, thought this was a, a, a strength of the Colts, of, of this offense. And then we look at kind of where they're at now, Ryan Hewitt, Ebron, and Swope, and nobody's really scared of anything there. And Doyle's been out, did not practice today. A lot of lot of change in that tight end room, and I, I mean, you agree with this, Luke? That this is now a weakness for the Colts, and and where do the Colts kind of go forward here? Do you think with you know depending upon I guess how long Doyle's out? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a really interesting situation. I think you know Eric Ebron is kind of being counted on to carry the load here with Doyle out, and I think he's even hurt right now with a shoulder knee injury on today's injury report. Um, but I think it's just going to be awfully hard to replace Jack Doyle. I mean, he's kind of your can-do-everything tight end. You can block and catch. And I think we saw last week where Ebron, I think, played 52 of the 58 snaps receiving. Um, 
And I think we saw, I think he was targeted maybe 11 times, had five receptions for 33 yards. So I, I think, you know, week one, we saw that highlight, you know, back shoulder catch in the end zone. And we saw like the good Eric Ebron, who was the first round pick. And I think this past week, we saw maybe a little more of the inconsistent um, guy that kind of left Detroit. And that's not to pile it on Eric Ebron at all. I think I'm still optimistic that he'll be a really good number two tight end. But I think you just miss Jack Doyle out there because he's kind of the blend of the blocking and the catching. Um, And I think Ryan Hewitt was brought on to kind of be on that, kind of be that blocking tight end and, um, as you and I were talking, Matt, I don't know if that he's really kind of lived up to that billing that we heard so much about from Cincinnati, that he was an exceptional blocker. And, I mean, not to pile it on him either. He's only been in the cold system a couple weeks. But it's just hard to get that, you know, complete tight end that Jack Doyle has been and kind of that unsung hero he is oftentimes for this offense. Yeah, but, and then as, as we were talking – it seems like the Colts have kind of taken a step back in that role that Hewitt is is, is functioning in right now as an H-back because, you know, the Colts had Daryl Daniels there. Very, very familiar, obviously, was with the team last year. They trade him away for wide receiver Marcus Johnson, who's ultimately offered just the backup role and in, in, a, in a negative yard rushing. I mean, he hasn't really done much of anything. I, I guess I haven't really paid much attention to his uh, special team snaps, if any, that he's had. But in that role that Hewitt is is in right now, the Colts have kind of lost out a little bit with not having Daniels in that role. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I mean, I think it's interesting right now. And I, I mean, you and I talked about it just before the podcast. But I mean, Jack Doyle's not practicing again. Eric Ebron, of course. It'll be interesting to see maybe if they give Daniels a look. I mean, he's cut just maybe less than twenty four hours ago by the Seahawks. So I mean, he knows the system. He could be a nice flyer guy or you know end of the depth chart at tight end and maybe get a look here if Mm -hmm. Ebron continues to be out right and and I I mean I would actually be all for that I think that they should bring him on um they would have to in my opinion they would have to really value what Hewitt is and maybe what he can be otherwise I don't really understand the whole point in him not uh, being with the Colts, I mean, Daniels can receive. He's a solid receiver. He was becoming a better H-back in that role uh, for the Colts in general. And now he's he's on the market. Is there any way that they see Hewitt as a better uh, role player in there than they do Daniels, do you think? I mean, I think if, if you know, like the next couple of days pass and Daniels is an added to the squad, I mean, I think that's a, definitely a realistic possibility. And and I think for Hewitt, in Hewitt's case, I mean, I think the hope is that maybe the more he gets acclimated with this offensive system, knows the playbook, gets chemistry with Andrew Luck, maybe we'll see kind of a guy we thought we were getting from the Bengals, you know, that H-back who's really good at blocking, can receive a little bit as an unheralded tight end. Um, but so far, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not completely sold on Hewitt, uh, but fortunately it's only, you know, we're entering week four, so there's still some time left in the season. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that the the Colts have to really get a lot of things going right now. There are some 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 different things that are playing into you know the Colts' offensive woes right now. Uh, you know they've lost some guys. They don't have the left tackle in place really. You know the right tackle still a major question mark. How the, that group is gelling in general. The Colts didn't look good at tight end last week. Their you know defense continued to play well. Uh, just a lot of things, you know, whether it was uh, Luck was kind of, you know, Luck, I noticed something. I'm doing a film room piece on him right now, and I, I noticed 
in in several of his dropbacks, he is immediately changing the angle on his uh, base, and he is completely ignoring about half of the field at times. And it really makes me kind of wonder if that is part of his you know progression or lack of progression. If it's just that one read that they're wanting him to do with that. But there's a lot of things that are kind of being left there. Luck's a little late on some of his stuff. He's not putting the the power behind his throws. And I look, I'm not worried about his arm. I don't think that you are probably either. But th- th- there's a legitimate question, it seems, among Colts fans and, and just anybody who's watching the team and paying attention, whether Andrew Luck is really actually struggling from a lack of, you know, does he have a lack of power in that arm right now? Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think we're so early into Andrew Luck coming back with the arm strength that I, I think it's just it, it's too far fetched to jump to the conclusion that oh, Andrew Luck is damaged goods or you know this isn't a code red right now. I mean, I think there's a little bit of lingering concern until we really see the Colts open up the playbook and, and see Luck you know throw a wide array of throws downfield. But I mean, to your point, we're playing probably right now with our what our third string left tackle in the Raven Clark our second-string right tackle, and Denzel Good. Um, and so I think Frank Reich has really kept the playbook, you know, to these short passes just so Andrew Luck doesn't get killed back there, which I think all Colts fans can appreciate. <laughs> right. But I, I think with Andrew Luck, I think, you know, we I mean, he's probably still shaking off the rust a little bit. You know, we heard in the offseason that he might even change his throwing motion just slightly. And so I think there's just a lot of variables in play. And, in, and I know you wrote an article today, Matt, which is great, and it, it talked about how the receivers aren't necessarily the best, you know, making plays downfield outside T.Y. Hilton. Um, and I mean, it could, a lot of it just could be rust. I mean, you look at – and not that baseball players is a great comparison, but when guys report to spring training, they're not always throwing their best fastball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rust was, you know, out of football for over a year. So – I mean, I, I think there's still optimism that Andrew Luck will eventually continue to build up velocity in those deep throws, and, and maybe we'll even see Reich, you know, open up that playbook a little bit once Costanzo comes back really healthy. Yeah, I, I I would be extremely happy if this offense looks significantly better with Costanzo, and I think they're doing it right there. Look, we may end up with another week without Costanzo, but the, he did say today, you know, I'm I've learned, I'm I'm not coming back just to be gone again. I'm going to make sure that I am completely healthy before I come back at all so that when I do, I'm here to stay. And I think that makes it makes total sense right now. Look, the Colts still actually are in pretty solid position. I mean, with where they're at. There's a lot of teams that are running with that 1 and 2, 2 and 1 record. Nothing is out of uh out of, you know, question right now. And within the division, there's a lot of back and forth as well. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, the Titans beat the Jaguars the other day, nine to six. I mean, what a absolute dreadful football game, football came to watch. I don't know if I could have made it through half of that. I it just would have been unbearable to me. But there's there's just look. I was I was heavily annoyed with a lot of things that went on in this last game against the Eagles. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't that I don't think that there's uh, a way they can come out of it. There is just this is. Uh, probably a combination of a lot of things and when you add in the fact that his this system is built the way it is that's going to add to it also so i i kind of have to sit back and relax a little bit sometimes but uh, coming out of that game reactionary 
was not, you know, I was not happy with Luck and his touch throws when he needs to paint that receiver's chest with the football. Those things really aggravate me a little bit with it. And I think those are all things they can control. Do I expect Andrew Luck to be perfect? Absolutely not. But I want a lot of these things to start working because I think that they should be. I think a lot of people are giving Andrew Luck too much credit for uh, – well, that, that's not exactly how I, I mean to say that. I don't think they're giving him enough credit for who he is and how he is coming actually coming back from this. I think he's smarter and a better all-around uh, physical presence that a lot of people are even giving him credit for. And I think that he, I guess maybe I'm giving him too much credit thinking he should be completely ready to go. And that's probably part of it as well. But th this, this upcoming schedule is going to be fun to watch too. Uh, kind of just through these first three games, I know it's a very small uh, sample size and all Luke, but I'm, I'm very curious, like who would be, if you had one of uh, your, if you were to pick your most surprising player, uh, on each side of the ball so far this year, who would you pick? Um, really on defense, I've been really impressed with Anthony Walker as a starter. I mean, he's a second-year guy. I mean, he was injured a lot last season, um, but he's kind of taken over that middle linebacker spot and really solidified it, you know, the fifth-round pick. And, I mean, I think Darius Leonard as the rookie, you know, has – calls all the headlines and rightfully so I mean he's been a monster out there making plays and making tackles but I think Anthony Walker is quietly kind of started alongside him um, he's just done a great job I mean he had an interception last week against Carson Wentz which was impressive I think and not that pro football focus is the all B but he's currently rated their fifth best linebacker which I don't think I saw coming mm -hmm. um, and, and I've really been impressed with him in coverage. I think between him and Leonard, they do a good job of really covering, you know, the receivers under the flat and the tight end space. And that's been something that's been, you know, a real sore spot for this defense in years past when we had, you know, slower, older linebackers out there. Very much agree with that. Very much agree with that. Uh, I am glad that you said Anthony Walker, actually, because Walker is one of the guys that I've been most impressed with. And in fact, I was going to write something on him here in the next day or two, just because I feel like he's not really getting the credit that he deserves for playing as well as he has been. Uh, he's done a really nice job. And I, what I, I think one of the things I love the most uh, is the chemistry between he and Leonard seems to be right now and on point. And I really like that. And that's, I think that in general is part maybe that uh, the reason not, because Walker's earned his, his role there, no doubt about it. But I think that even the, the chemistry that he and Leonard have together and they're, that they're showing on the field might be a reason that Sky Moore might be not getting any more snaps than he is, even though they think that he's purely capable. But I also see a lack of Najee Good out there. They're, they're not really wanting to mess with their chemistry, I don't think. I think they just look at him and want to build around that because that linebacking core – right now is surprisingly really impressive. I'm glad that you said Anthony Walker for sure. Who's your, who's your most surprising guy on the offensive side of the ball? Um, I'm going to go with Ryan Kelly. I think and we, not necessarily that we should be surprised the former first round pick, but I mean, I think last year he battled concussion issues and I think maybe a knee injury at some point, but I mean, I think he's quietly been really efficient out there. I mean, Quentin Nelson, again, is kind of the big, smaller guy who draws all the headlines next to him at left guard and their first-round pick out of Notre Dame. And, but I think Kelly's kind of quietly played a really good – given them really good production at the center spot. I mean, it's not always a flashy position, but, I mean, I look at that interior of the line, and I think with him back fully healthy, I can definitely see how the Colts have improved out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that Kelly has come back 
and has been as impressive as he has so far because he was re he's really kind of the anchor there you know I mean you've got the Wiley veteran there in Slauson you've got Kelly just a couple years out being a first round pick and then you've got the first round pick to his left and you kind of see a really interesting dynamic with the three kind of levels of where each of them are at in their career really wanted them to work well together I'm glad that they have for me, offensively, and it's and it's partly because I was trashing him off for the most part during training camp and the preseasons. Ryan Grant, Ryan yep. Grant has yep. really come on and looked impressive to me. He's a he's a solid pass catcher. Um, I'm I'm just I honestly am really glad that he has kind of stepped up to the plate because it really looked like he and Andrew Luck were missing their chemistry bad early on. Uh, like I said, preseason and training camp was not impressive whatsoever. They were seeing, you know, good routes and, and running everything hard and going at it. But there, I mean, there were overthrows. You could tell that he was breaking off routes where Luck thought he wasn't. Luck was thinking that he was running deeper or Luck was thinking that it was going to be a comeback and it wasn't. It was a fade or just whatever. And it was really awkward almost. And I'm just, I was very, up, like, worried about it. And right now, it looks like those two almost have as good or better chemistry than anybody else on the field. And I think it's necessary because with the way that the offense is drawn up, the way that T.Y. Hilton does get his catches and wins in his matches, and the way that Andrew Luck is throwing right now, and the way that, you know, just like I said, basically designing around this offensive system, it's a good thing that Ryan Grant has come to play because without him, I think the Colts could even be worse off than they are currently. He's made some big catches already. Yeah, I agree with that, Matt. I think he was kind of on my short list, too, of really surprising players on offense. And, and one thing that I've been really impressed with him is just his blocking. I mean, yes. I, he had that crazy yep. block, I think, in week two against the Redskins um, that sprung the Colts on a big play. And, I mean, I, I haven't really seen – or we really haven't had, you know, that type of receiver that blocks that well in Indianapolis. I mm. mean – Probably the closest thing we had is maybe Pierre Garçon way back when. But, I mean, I think he takes a lot of pride in his blocking. And, and for a Colts team that runs a lot of short routes, you know, a lot of halfback passes, a lot of wide receiver screens, I mean, that's a huge asset to have a guy that's a willing blocker out there and not afraid to mix it up. And, I mean, I think that was an area of his game that I had really no idea that he was that good of a blocker on the outside. Yeah, I agree. And he's come powerful. And it was it, that was a dominating block, too. Uh, one of the things I was surprised about as I was watching one of the plays, do you remember when Andrew Luck kind of uh, had immediate pressure? And I don't, I want to say it was in like the early third quarter. Um, Andrew Luck steps up into the pocket out like immediately because the pressure is coming off the edge pretty hard. He steps up and uh, T.Y. runs uh, a combination route where he, he comes inside and then goes back to the corner and Luck steps up and kind of throws it on the run to him. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember it. Yep. Okay. If you look on that all 22, it's real pretty because he and Ryan Grant, I think, were running identical routes. And you see both of them open up against that those safeties. It's really a pretty thing. Both of them run their routes to perfection, get those safeties to to basically turn their hips to the center of the of the field. And then you see them break out. Both of them are wide open. Andrew Luck had his pick of either one that he wanted to throw to. And they were both, like I said, precise, precisely uh, ran routes. It was really a thing of beauty. And it almost seems like 
if Andrew Luck hadn't stepped up, he'd had to sit in that pocket for like four seconds. Those were really long and drawn out routes. Right. It yeah. It just it was it was impressive all the way through. To be quite honest with you, how you could see both Hilton and Grant both on pace and both running the route almost identically uh, at the opposite ends of the field. It was impressive. I was I was happy to see that because to be quite honest with you, before I rewatched that, I had almost forgotten that play entirely. So I was glad to see that. That may give me a little more. Um, you know, belief in the fact that, look, we are trying to go downfield on these guys. It's just not going to happen every time. Yeah, and I mean, I think a little bit, he reminds me of Reggie Wayne, and not to say he's a future Hall of Famer by any means, but just, I think, the precision of the route, the hands, I mean, similar body type, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if he can really give the Colts a solid number two wide receiver next to T.Y. Hilton, I mean, that would be huge huge addition for this offense because we really haven't had that guy consistently um, really since Reggie Wayne retired. So I'm interested to see if he can keep it up. But I, I mean, yeah, I think the precision of his routes, I mean, him and Hilton run rub, rub routes in Frank Reich's offense. So, I mean, they really need that guy who's not afraid to kind of mix it up and get contact and I don't know, just be an efficient route runner, be efficient with his hands. And I think Ryan Grant has, quietly impressed in that regard mm-hmm. I agree uh, so we kind of went with uh, uh, Grant and Ryan Kelly both of us pretty much agree in agreement on on those for the most part defensively we both were really excited about Walker another guy defensively though that I guess I would say that I'm impressed with um, and, and kind of I guess I'm kind of surprised at a couple guys but it, I, th- I thought the door was open for them to play this way I just wasn't sure if it was going to be one of them both of them is Pierre Desir and Clayton Gathers I, ne- I didn't feel like we really got a great heads up as to what Clayton Gathers was going to be this year be cut from last year, but Pierre Desir has p- come to play. He's looked really good. He's up there in, I think, those PFF uh, charts as well. So I-, I think that those two in general have really come to play as well. I've-, I've been pleased with what they've done on the back end. I think the Colts' defense right now is full of, I mean, I guess you could say surprises back and forth. I mean, go all the way to Kenny Moore if you want to. And there's plenty of them in this defensive uh, scheme for sure. Yeah, I agree. I actually had Clayton Gathers written down behind, you know, just shortly behind Anthony Walker on my list. But I mean, I think he's done a really great job coming back from that neck injury. I don't know if he was 100% last year ever really coming back, but he had 30 tackles with seventh in the NFL. He had a forced fumble. I think, you know, we, we and again, I think. We've done a good job of picking maybe guys that are have the you know the more heralded guy next to him. You know, Anthony Walker has Gary Flynn, or Brian Kelly is Quentin Nelson. And I think mm-hmm. this is another example where Clayton Gathers has Malik Cooker, Malik Hooker, excuse me, next to him. He tends to make the more flashy plays, but I think Gathers has quietly done a good job of just making big hits, making tackles. He's active. He's been around the ball, and, and I think to your point too, Matt, I mean, this Colts cornerback court, it's a bunch of kind of no-name guys that were overlooked or, you know, heaped to the scrap pile like the Sir or Kenny Moore. And, and, I mean, both of those guys have quietly been really good starters for this Colts defense given that, you know, we thought this would be a, that would be a major major weakness for the defensive unit. And I think the Sir is what, like, pro football focuses seventh or eighth best cornerback overall right now. I mean, Kenny Moore's had – you know, big interception already this year. Um, and for a bunch of no-name, unheralded ragtag group that we thought this cornerback unit was, I mean, they quietly impressed and made this Colts defense actually, you know, pretty surprisingly formidable unit. 
Yes, and and I don't know that many of us probably thought that that was going to be the case coming in. I think that's probably surprised both of us. And, and uh, going that, it's kind of funny that you you said that that we've kind of picked the guys that kind of have the stud next to them that are kind of flying in the shadows there. But I guess that kind of falls into our um, underrated type guys. Who is uh, let's let's go with the rotational guy. Who would be your most underrated rotational guy right now on the Colts either side of the ball? I've always kind of liked Matthias Farley. I don't know if he gets as much playing time, but I think when he's out there, he makes an impact, whether it's on defense or special teams or that additional safety. Um, so, so I've been quietly impressed with him, I guess, on defense whenever he gets the opportunity. And I would say on offense, I feel like Naheem Hines has done a really good job when given the playing time. I think he adds a much-needed explosion explosion and path catching um, to that Colts running back committee, especially when Marlon Max out. I think we really lack that. And I think Jordan Wilkins does a really solid job, but I think when Hines is out there, you can just notice kind of that extra spark and big playability. So I think he's been a guy that I think has really added some added juice to this Colts offense. Yeah. It's been watch. It's been interesting watching him and, and this safety bunch really as a group, because you've seen, they'll bring up I mean they've even been bringing up I noticed against the Eagles they brought Hooker up into the box and left Gethers and Farley out top as safeties when they're doing a big nickel or a big dime and then vice versa they'll they'll bring Gethers up and leave Farley and Hooker back in coverage deep and it's really kind of interesting I mean that that little bit of a a triad there and the way that they're moving those guys around, it's really interesting because you're not losing any physicality when you talk about a guy like Matthias Farley, he's bringing it and he's done a pretty stinking good job in, in coverage too. So, I mean, I I think I'm on board with that. I, I I almost want to say, um, you know, a a guy like Grover Stewart or somebody like that, but there's several of these guys that are, that are kind of doing that. But I, man, I'm, I'm on board with you with Matthias Farley for sure, especially as a rotational guy, a guy who started most of last season, if not all of it. uh, He's, he's been impressive. I love the way that they move those safeties around. I think Matt Eberflus might be one of the most underrated coordinators right now, to be quite honest with you, just because he is really using every piece on that defensive side of the roster to the Colts' advantage, and he's really dialing up some interesting and fun blitzes. He's not sending uh, a lot of blitzes. In fact, I think the Colts blitz the least amount in the NFL, at least before week three they were dead last in, in blitz percentage. But it's really fun to watch them. I mean, they're sending Leonard. They're sending safeties. They're sending Kenny Moore off out of the slot when they put him in there occasionally. It's fun to watch this, and Matthias Farley, Malik Hooker, and Clayton Gathers that has to keep quarterbacks wondering I think back there is really what are they trying to do with these two guys back there versus this guy in the box and vice versa yeah I agree and I think besides Farley you look at him and I mean he could easily start for this Colts team I mean I don't really look at him as like a backup safety I mean I I think you don't really lose much from him the, the other two starters right now um, I think he's pro football focus is sixth best rated safety. So obviously when he's got the playing time, he's made it count. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you made a great point on that Everflus. I mean, I, I look at this Colts defense and I mean, I think they're playing better than their overall talent indicates and, and not to say they don't have talent. I mean, Darius Leonard obviously looks like a rising star. Um, but, but I mean, I look at this team and there's not really an established veteran star that you'll see on a lot of defenses. 
And, I mean, he's worked magic. I mean, Marcus Hunt went from a cast off from the Bengals to playing like almost like J.J. Watt this early season. And, and I mean, you're just getting contributions for a lot of guys. I mean, we mentioned DeSera and Kenny Moore, guys that were undrafted free agents or cut from their prior teams. And, you know, we have a bunch of young linebackers and a fifth-round pick like Anthony Walker, who we mentioned. So it just seems like he just has these guys playing hard, and, and he's called him. He's dialed up great blitzes when he's needed to. You know, you mentioned we saw it with Darius Leonard last week, just a great time blitz during the flow of the game. And, I mean, I also think he does a great job of just with his stunts, with his defensive linemen. I mean, the Colts don't have that premier pass rusher right now, mm-hmm. but they have that know how to stunt. He knows how to create the mismatches and to keep that offensive line off balance where the Colts have found ways to still generate pressure. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy who doesn't, you know, he doesn't discriminate. I mean, he'll send Al Woods on a on an outside slant or outside uh, stunt, and it's really funny watching. You know, when I saw him do that, I was like, "Woo, we may not want Al Woods doing that uh, that so often because he takes forever to get over to the edge." You know, when you have a guy uh, like she- like Sheard who can kind of go in and out, he can pressure uh, inside of the tackle, he can hit the edge. It's really interesting to see, and it's really fun to watch him kind of dial things up with this group to make them successful. And, and with that, let's roll over to the uh, the most underrated play, uh, starter uh, for either side of the ball for you. The underrated starter. Um, I would go on defense. I mean, I think – and I think you just mentioned him, but Jabal Sheard. I mean, I think last year he was the Colts – probably their best defensive lineman throughout the course of the year. And I think he's just been a rock, done a rock solid job for this defense. I think, you know, other guys seem to draw a lot of the headlines, but he's quietly might still be, you know, outside maybe Darius Leonard, Marcus Hunt. He's probably been one of the Colts best defensive players this season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I would, I could go for Sheard too, uh, but I'm hitting Marcus Hunt and Hunt is a guy who's now starting to get a lot of buzz, even within you know, Colts uh, Twitter or, or Colts fans, Hunt has been phenomenal. He is a guy who's completely, it seems, like rebranded himself to a guy like, look, I came here when you guys had a 3-4. I played pretty well, played better than I did in a 4-3 in Cincinnati. Now we're into a 4-3 again, a, a, a cover two, uh, four-man front. And look, I'm going to I'm gonna come through and I'm going to power through and I'm going to give you guys some edge presence. He's really fun because they can move him inside and out too. I really continually think what if the Colts were able to have a healthy Tyquan Lewis right now? How would this rotation look? I mean, I like what Grover Stewart brings. I think the Colts have proven that they can live without Danico Autry as much as he legitimately brings to this defensive line. But I think Marcus Hunt might be this guy right now who just, you know, even though people are mentioning him, whether it be on some of the cable net or some of the networks and, you know, NFL.com and all that stuff, I think it's really going to take him a few more games. And then people are going to be like, look, Marcus Hunt's 30 years old. This guy can still play. And he's in actually the best couple years of his career right now. Yeah, and I agree with that, Matt. I think we're starting to see flashes of the guy that the Bengals envisioned, you know, when they drafted him in the second round in 2013 out of SMU. I mean, the guy's 6'8", he's, what, you know, 280 pounds. He, he moves very well, and, and he, he always was a great athlete. I mean, I don't think anyone could question that, but we're starting to see that athleticism and, 
you know, that, that, that freak of nature that he really is when you look at him. And we're starting to see that actually translate to the field. And, and yeah, I mean, I think he was a guy that was looked at as maybe, you know, one of the last veterans to make this 53-man roster kind of after preseason. You know, a lot of people thought he barely squeaked in. And he, now he's probably turned into arguably the Colts' best defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. He just made a huge impact. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not kidding when I say, like, you know, I think he's had a, almost a J.J. Watt-like impact to this Colts defense because he's constantly in the backfield. He's disruptive. You know, he's getting sacks. He's forcing fumbles. And, I mean, he's been a, an absolute tear. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people thought when we switched back to the 4-3 that he would, you know, wasn't really a scheme fit, but he's been almost better in this 4-3 scheme under Eberfuss. <laughs> it's crazy, too, because he, he has. And, and he, I mean, it, it's... It's really like you. You mentioned his height and, and his weight. I mean, the dude is six eight, three hundred pounds. Right on. I mean, fairly right on the money, like two ninety eight. But he's thirty pounds heavier than Sheard, longer. You know, thirty forty pounds heavier than Ture. And he's one of the Colts' most explosive guys right now. It's really kind of crazy. Yeah, especially at the age of thirty one. I mean, that it's kind of weird that you would think a guy would break out so late in his career, but. I mean, I guess that's a testament to him. I mean, kind of still learning and growing as a player. And, and I mean, I think if you're a Bengals fan, you got to be looking at this and kind of shaking your head and saying, where'd this guy come from? You know, that wasn't the same guy we ever had in Cincinnati. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they're probably, of course, this is this is one of those things like that we do when somebody's getting traded. Like, people are talking about John Simon right now because he went to the Patriots and we're like, great, he's going to have like four sacks against us here in a couple weeks. But I mean, and that's that's typical when any any time somebody leaves your organization and does a little better or actually kind of gets in their groove, you know, that then people kind of you know feel that way, and it feels like, of course, you know, that's just Murphy's law, the way it's going to be. Let's Luke talk about this injury report. We've kind of danced around it a little bit with a couple of different conversations, but let's talk about it real quick. And I'm going to get to a guy at the end here uh, before we actually get into the injury part, and I want a conversation about him. But Anthony Costanzo didn't practice. We mentioned that Doyle didn't, Ebron didn't, uh, Gethers was out, Joe Haig, he's going to be out for a couple weeks, it sounds like, a few weeks. Hooker was out, Hassan Ridgeway and Quincy Wilson still battling the concussion issues. Um, Danico Autry and Marlon Mack were both limited. Andrew Luck, some reason, with a groin, was full participant. So, a lot. I mean, this injury report continues and looks to grow almost every single week. It seems like, but let's talk about the guy who's at the top of this. And this kind of stood out to me. I, I'm hoping I'm I, well, hoping I, I'm curious if it's, you know, you don't see illness under his injury. You actually see not injury related. So most of the time when it's a personal issue, you see personal. If somebody's sick, you see illness. We just see not injury related next to Terrell Basham and his did not practice today. I, does that make you think any kind of way for any reason? Uh, I think it. I think it does, Matt. But I think I, I think I saw it. It maybe was Zach Keeper that tweeted. I think Terrell Basham's girlfriend gave birth to a child today. Oh. So I'm hoping the actual reason why he's out. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't. I did not see that. Um, I think it would say. Per, I don't know why that doesn't say personal because I feel like that's an easy fix right there. So yeah, me, me too. And that, and that seems to be 
what they've typically put in here. I, I don't really understand the non-injury related. To me, honestly, because I, I didn't see anything uh, today from Twitter. I was <laughs> really busy, actually, today. I missed a couple things, even what we were talking about with Daniels being released from Seattle. And then, uh, you know, with this, obviously, and his injury uh, situation with Basham or, or his not practicing. But that's very cool. He's gonna if he's a daddy or, or whatever's going on. That's awesome. I hope that's the case. It really, when I first saw this injury report, I thought we have not seen or heard his name. He wasn't active last week, or I'm sorry, in week two. In week three, he was active. I don't know if he got any snaps at all. Um, and this week, you see him on the injury report, not injury related. To me, it kind of made me feel like. Are they trying to dump him for a conditional pick or a late-round pick, possibly, because Al-Kadeen Muhammad's there. They have seemed to love Jihad Ward. They, they've got some guys that are being productive, and Terrell Basham is just a guy sitting around watching them right now. No, I, I, th- I think your point's a good one. I mean, he was inactive week two. He seems to kind of fallen behind a few guys, you know, like Muhammad, Ward, Ture, of course, has been, you know, kind of the – new toy at pass rusher. So, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't be surprising necessarily to see, you know, him getting phased out a little bit. But I think in this case it looks like it's more encouraging news, yeah. which is a good thing for Colts fans. Yeah, that, and that's good. I'm, I'm happy for him if that's the case. I, I hate to bring that kind of a, you know, conversation to the table. If that's the case, he's becoming a dad, and I'm sitting here talking about how, how you know, are the Colts trying to get rid of him? <laughs> so I'm not – I'm not trying to be that, you know, that downer, but I mean, that just, to me, that stuck out to me, the way that they designated it on here. And it kind of made me wonder, uh, just in general, what was up with that very, it it just a a really weird, innocuous, uh, description for, for his being out today. So I don't know what's up with that, but he, uh, it seems like everybody that they bring in and I mentioned Jihad Ward and, and Al-Kadim Muhammad. And they've got a couple guys on the practice squad right now that I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Carol Phillips, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these guys move up at some point. And it seems like everybody who does or anytime the Colts bring somebody in in that defensive end, defensive tackle kind of uh, combination uh, role, they always seem to get bumped up ahead of Terrell Basham. Yeah, I mean, I think for, you know, he's probably one of the players from Ballard's last draft class that's really underachieved um, to this point. And that's not to say he can't be a productive pass rusher still in time, but, I mean, I think the clock's also starting to tick for him a little bit where, I mean, he's going to have to start having some of those results translate on the field because, like you said, I mean, we've seen a lot of guys signed off the street, you know, this past off season and even early season who have made, you know, a greater impact than he has. So, I mean, that is somewhat alarming, I would have to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. We'll have to keep our eyes on that uh, just kind of to see what really, if anything, comes of that situation. Because whether or not it had anything to do with his designation of being out today, it's still something that we might want to keep an eye on anyways because it's still uh, uh, some sort of a process going on there with him. Like you said, either just not getting the snaps or they're phasing him out. And, you know, maybe they are looking to move him, maybe not. Just kind of a thought process. But let's talk about the Colts' schedule here before I get you out of here, Luke. Uh, first and foremost, appreciate you being on, man. Um, loving the conversation, and I know that everybody listening is too. So let's talk about it. This weekend, the Colts uh, are hosting the Houston Texans. The Texans are 0-3, terrible in Indianapolis. They never play well, it seems. 
Um, or at least they never win. We'll put it that way. I mean, they've had first halves that were amazing, and then they've been beat. Uh, the Patriots, the Colts travel to New England uh, next Thursday. That's, you know, a kind of a scary game for Colts fans, uh, I would assume. But it's also probably at this point, especially with how they've been playing, a scary game for Patriots fans as well. Then the Colts hit uh, the Jets on the following Sunday in what? What is that? Week six. And then in week seven here, the Colts go to the or the Colts host the Bills and then they travel to the Raiders in week eight. Then they're on their bye. Where do you expect the Colts to be record wise when they come out of their bye? Um, I mean, I think they have a lot of winnable games. I mean, I think this week at Houston could, you know, very easily, you know, keep put them back at 500. I mean, Deshaun Watson doesn't look like he's quite the same guy that he was last year coming off that ACL. At home, I think the Colts tend to play better like most teams. I mean, week five at New England is probably going to be a loss on Thursday night football. So, I mean, you're probably looking at, I don't know, two and three there. Jets, I think, is a winnable game. So, again, you're back to, you know, 500 Bills. I mean, I think you could probably look at Bills Raiders. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that the Colts could be five and three coming out of the break. I mean, that's probably optimistic that they're not going to win, you know, all those games against, you know, somewhat suspect opponents. Uh, but but I think, you know, I think they've really had probably the, the, you know, the tougher part of their schedule, you know, with the Redskins on the road, the Eagles, and once they can get kind of past the Patriots in week five, I mean, I think, you know, the Colts schedule to me, I mean, I think there's a lot of games that they can win. And even this past week we saw against the Eagles that, you know, they had a shot late in that game with Andrew Luck to win on the road. So, I mean, I think the Colts are, will be in probably most of all of these games. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them be five and three. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree with you here that all five of these games, I mean, it seems silly to say that the Colts are in a winnable position against the Patriots. The way they've played lately, I think the Colts are in a winnable position. If the defense continues to play the way they are, they are that is a winnable game. You know, the if the offense can come and, and match uh, the intensity of the defense, then the Colts have a really good shot, I think, regardless if it's on the road or, or at home. But all of these games, Texans, Jets, Raiders, Bills, I mean, any other year, especially a year where the Colts were expected to make the playoffs, this would be at least four out of five wins. And we're talking about the Colts, like you said, five and three. Very, very possible. And almost it would seem, like you said, uh, with a with a better, you know, a more established team uh, in Indianapolis, a more uh, regular a team that we're used to seeing that is capable of winning. 10 11 games this is almost uh you would look at those four games especially the texans jets raiders and, and bills and say the colts should win all four of those without any problem yeah i mean, I mean none of those teams i think even have a winning record right now right. and i mean i know it's early but i mean there's not that you know juggernaut that you normally see at your schedule within you know four or five week stretch i mean the closest thing, like you said, is the Patriots. And I mean, they struggle mightily against the Detroit Lions. So, I mean, I don't, maybe that'll change once Tom Brady gets Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon learns that playbook a little bit. But I mean, that's the only game that I think you can probably point to and say that's, you know, probably a loss for the Colts on the road. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I look at all these other games, you know, you're playing a rookie quarterback in Sam Darnold, the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you know, the Bills are kind of a you know mess, although they beat the Vikings. So I guess 
you don't really know what Jekyll Hyde team is going to show up there. And then the Raiders, I think, are still trying to kind of learn just exactly what's going on under John Gruden. I mean, they don't even have, don't even have a win yet. So I, I definitely think, you know, if this were one of those Colts playoff teams that we've seen in the past, that the Colts would take care of business here, and this, is, this schedule would be a cakewalk. But as it stands, I mean, I think the Colts have a chance to win every single one of these games. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think that that's it, it's funny when you look at the Patriots. Like, I mean, like you said, the Bills are almost like a, a like a, a meth head team or something like that. They're they can be awful and the worst thing on on Sunday, and then they can end up blowing a team out like the Vikings. I mean, it was just crazy to watch that game. We don't know what the Raiders. We don't even have a clue what the Raiders are right now. But we, you know, the the Gruden stuff. Everybody has their own opinion on that. I I've, I continue to thank everything that John Gruden never landed in Indianapolis. The Jets have been up and down, looked really good early, and then have looked like basically like crap the past couple weeks. The Texans haven't won a game yet. The Patriots, look, they haven't won. They've been actually they're they've lost two straight and now they host the Dolphins this week. The Dolphins are three and oh I'm going to be watch I'm making sure I record that game because it, I want to see how the how the Patriots really kind of bounce back after two straight losses and kind of see if the Colts might have a chance to go in there and steal one. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like the Dolphins always seem to play New England fairly tough. It's kind of like their little brother in that AFC East and always seem to give them a pretty good game at least once a year. And, and I mean, I feel like if the Colts can go like they did this past week, I mean, they went into Philadelphia in the rain, you know, the Colts aren't historically that strong of a rushing team as we know, mm-hmm. you know, we had the ball in Andrew Luck's hands with a chance to win that thing. So, I mean, I don't think it's surprising at all if the Colts put up a pretty darn good fight, you know, in that Thursday night game against New England. And, I mean, Thursday night games tend to play out a little weird, too, I feel like, where they just don't seem to normally go as you would think. And they're either low scoring or just weird. I mean, we've seen a lot of odd games on Thursday night. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Colts, you know, maybe maybe they can pull off an upset. You never know. I mean, if there were any New England team in the past couple of years to pull off an upset, I mean, I think it would be this one. Yeah, absolutely. So where would you? So, what would their record have to be to where you would have legitimate uh, disappointment with the Colts? Uh, anything less than five hundred? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that's a tough one. I mean, I think at least coming out I, or going into the bye week, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, I, I yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, I think I expect them to probably probably drop a game against you know opponent that's at least on par or worse. And I mean, I I can see them. You know, they're probably not going to win every game that we think the Colts should win. It just doesn't work out like that. So I mean, I, but I think you'd have to be very happy with four and four with this team because um, I mean they've looked better than I thought. I mean, the defense looks a lot better. The offense, I still think, is a work in progress. But, you know, as Andrew Luck gets more comfortable and Anthony Costanzo comes back, I'm hoping we'll see much more of a potent high-scoring offense. But, yeah, I mean, I think this team very well could go 5-3. and 4-4 four four is probably the worst-case scenario for me just looking at the schedule. Yeah, and, and after that, it gets really kind of dicey because four of the five next games that the Colts play after the bye 
are divisional opponents, and they've got the Dolphins there. So all five of those games, regardless of what you think about the Jaguars, Titans, or the Texans, they're going to be good games, it seems like. And they may not be pretty, but the games are going to be close in all those. And then, like I said, the Dolphins, if they stay hot, they could be one of the hottest teams in the league when the Colts face them. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins are definitely surprising. I guess Frank Gore's brought some of his magic down there. <laughs> right. But, you know, I think you look at the Colts' schedule, and they've got, you know, a couple home games in a row with the Titans, or the Jaguars, then the Titans, which, you know, those are big divisional games. The Dolphins is probably going to be, I mean, the Dolphins look pretty tough right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I, but I look at the rest of the Colts' schedule, and there's not really that out-of-division opponent that scares you. I mean, going past, Week 10, I think the Dolphins will be a very tough game, but then they've got the Cowboys, the Giants, and, I mean, the Cowboys look like they're, um, you know, kind of struggling right now to find an identity and, and really score points, I feel like. And then the Giants just, I mean, they look like they're probably going to pick, you know, number three pick again or top three pick. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, no, there's really no easy games in the NFL, but I think the Colts have a chance to really surprise this year just looking at their overall schedule. Yeah, I do too. I think they've definitely – you see – I think you you be realistic with where you see the Colts actually at in this rebuilding. However, you see all these games that are winnable and all these games that could legitimately go in the Colts' favor, and you just think – man, can they just get in the playoffs and see what can happen? You know, a lot of people will start wanting higher draft picks and stuff by then. But, man, this would be such a fun year with this just the first year for Andrew Back, the second year of Chris Ballard, and an entirely new defensive philosophy scheme and approach to to win a game or two even in the playoffs would be – I think, honestly, magical for Indianapolis and their hopes and their fan base for the coming years. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think it would be 2012 all over again, you know, Andrew Luck's rookie season. Good point. I mean, I think this team has played a lot better than I think any of us really expected. Um, And, I mean, if they can get to that 9-7 and mark, I mean, we saw, you know, a couple teams last year squeak into the playoffs, like the Bills and the Titans, who probably, in most years, I wouldn't say were necessarily playoff-caliber teams. So you never know in the AFC. I mean, if the Colts can maybe get to that 9-7 and threshold, I mean, I think they have a shot. And, you know, you never know. And as the past we've seen, when you give Andrew Luck the ball in the playoffs, sometimes he has a tendency to make plays, and, and, and it would be awesome simply really revitalize the city and the football department again to see the Colts make the playoffs. So I think it's still probably somewhat of a long shot, but just looking at the schedule, I mean, and how they played last week against the defending Super Bowl champions, I think you can also say you never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can rule it out either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Luke, I had a blast talking to you, man. I'm glad for you, uh, glad that you came on the show. It was a good time. Uh, chatting with you love to have you back on the show uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff again before we get out of here sure matt so if you can find my uh writing it's the indiana sports coverage and my twitter handle is luck at luke um so if you wouldn't mind please following me that'd be great matt thanks so much for having me on i had a great time it was great talking colts with you i'd love to be on again so just Whenever you need me, just let me know, man. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure, and, and we will definitely have you back on. So, uh, Luke, again, excellent time talking to you, man. Great conversation. Guys, 
make sure that you are going to iTunes and hooking us up with a rating and review. We've told you guys some of the news. If you haven't subscribed yet, you're going to want to subscribe. New hosts, new shows. It's going to be a blast here on the Stampede Blue podcast channel. You guys have to be a part of it now, so make sure you guys are getting out there and getting that done. Uh, make sure you guys are following Luke on Twitter. Follow myself at SB as well, and always go to Stampede Blue for your Indianapolis Colts news and analysis. Thank you guys all for listening. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Colts cast. Stampede Blue. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.